to John Murray, Chief Secretary of the Victorian Government. Dear Sir, I am a half-caste Aboriginal and have a wife and six children to support. I find it very hard to make things meet as my wife is suffering from tubercle lungs and often has to lay up in bed for a week. I have no chance of making a home as I have had diphtheria through the family also. The wife has got two acres of land to her and that is under cultivation. We have a nice garden but cannot get enough to build a house. We have been living in a tent two years and she is always bad. And when I am away, the wife is in the tent herself with the children. If the government could help me to finish building by letting me have the material, I am willing to pay back in-time payments as I cannot go far away to work. The local police know my hardship and the trouble I am having, also my character. Just trusting you will consider my case as I am really in need of help. I remain your humble servant, Percy Pepper, Cunningham. I hated the thought that they had to beg and that they had to ask for permission. You know, here we are walking around free, but maybe that's the reason why, because they were so resilient and they did do what they did because they've paved a better way for us and our families. But, um, yeah, it made you feel really sad that that's the way they had to do it. Sir, I have the honour to forward the enclosed from Percy Pepper. He some time ago lost some of his fingers while at work on the wharf at Sale. He wishes to get a pass, if possible, to Melbourne to see his wife to the sanatorium at Broadmeadows. As they are in great poverty, they are likely to be in want. If anything can be done for them legally, I am sure it would be a great blessing. Well, Mr Bulmer, I am not able to get her to that place, and the doctor says she can get treatment there that will all probability cure her. I would like to get her away as soon as possible, as every week she is getting worse. I am going to ask you if you could help me get a pass to take her down as I cannot do much work yet as my fingers are not healed. I will be out Sunday to see you. They were always working in the margins, really. And when they had to negotiate these sorts of deals, they had to negotiate with a bureaucracy and it made the task even even harder, I, I guess. On the positive side, I think that they were so persistent that they were... They asserted themselves. They wrote to the Premier. They wrote to, you know, they, they, they made their... They made their plight known. They stuck together and it showed a, a very strong sense of family bonding. For me, that was a really positive message to get out there that no matter what classification you try and give Aboriginal people, we are who we are, we're strong, we're proud and we'll stick by each other no matter what. And um, to me, this family typifies that. Alice has got the typhoid fever. Billy has gone up as he is bad again. I am just up to my eyes in trouble. I have nothing more to say, hoping you will be able to help me in some way. Your trustworthy, Percy Pepper. Excuse writing in pencil. What it reveals to me is the level of control that government protectors feel that they are entitled to have over the lives of Aboriginal people and... In response to that, Aboriginal people get drawn into a 
system of deference or feigned deference where they know that if they want any changes in their lives or if they want to have any of their demands met, they have to go through this process of a particular style of writing, a particular humility to gain anything from government. Sir, the woman Lucy Pepper, for whom I wrote to you some time ago, has had a favourable reply from the Secretary of Greenvale Sanatorium so they will start next week for Melbourne. In order to enter the sanatorium, the patient requires this enclosed list of articles. Two complete sets of underflannel, four pairs woolen stockings, three nightgowns, one pair woolen bed boots for winter, one pair galoshes... Memo. Dr Norris of the Department of Public Health telephoned today that the woman Pepper would be admitted to the sanatorium on the following day for educative purposes. She would be kept there for a fortnight. William J. Ditchburn, the Vice Chairman, Board for Protection of the Aborigines. Mr. Ditchburn, I received the clothes on Monday and I thank you very much for them. Percy is not working yet, as his hand broke again. A piece of bone came out of his finger. I remain Lucy Pepper, 12th of February 1908. To Mr. Keogh. Vice Chairman for the Board of Protection of Aborigines. I write a few lines to you asking you if you could help as my wife is not well. I want to know if you could give me two months' help as I am in great need. I can't go to work as I can't get no one to look after her. The doctor in Stratford wants her to go into the hospital in Stratford but I cannot afford to pay while she is there. He wants her to go in for two or three weeks. I was sorry I was not at home when you was in Stratford. You saw two of my little ones on the fence when you passed. My wife was not well enough to come out and speak to you. I am sorry to trouble you again, but times are so hard down here. I remain, Percy Pepper. Memo, the attached letter from Percy Pepper is referred for report. It is desired, if the case is a deserving one, to know whether ration should be supplied. W.J. Ditchburn, Acting Secretary. The infamous 1886 Aborigines Act, which is more commonly known as the Half-Caste Act, outlined the restricted movement of Aboriginal people, the particular categories of Aboriginal identity, which are both restrictive and exclusive, and the determination of those legislative acts to separate and, in fact, to destroy Aboriginal family life. I know that this is reflective of what's happening all over Australia at the same time. The economic restrictions are put in place to stop Aboriginal people having any economic independence, and we see Percy having to deal with this problem constantly. It's such a hypocrisy because at the same time as the government are denying Percy his identity as an Aboriginal man, they are in fact doing all they can to ensure that the same people cannot gain economic autonomy. You are too black and not black enough at the same time. Oh, and this is the the terrible dilemma that Aboriginal people historically have faced. Um, when you're talking about a community or individuals who are already living on the margins of mainstream society, it caused enormous deprivation both to health 
and to economic circumstances. So we see people suffering both physical ailments, suffering from the poverty in which they live, which clearly led to the early deaths of people who otherwise would have had more valuable and extended lives. A further note, rations have been approved for a period of two months to pepper wife and family. William J. Ditchburn. The category of identity as enacted or defined by the state or by governments in Australia is ever-changing throughout the 20th century and at each change that new definition is enacted to further restrict the lives of Aboriginal people. So it's a very insidious form of legislation. And it really was a century's worth of legislation. Oh, absolutely. We Again, we can say from eight, in Victoria at least, from 1860 with the first Act up until recent time, we have many pieces of legislation dealing with these issues. If you look at legislative history in Australia, up until I know 10 years ago, there were at least 60 categories of Aboriginality that had been legislated by government. And if you look at why those categories have changed and been, been introduced... They're about economic control, they're about social control, and they're about political control. So what we can say quite clearly is that Australian governments have never had a defined sense of Aboriginal identity, and Australian governments have sought to shift and change that category of identity to suit their own purposes. Sir, I beg to impart that the man Pepper is a son-in-law of William Thorpe and resides with him at Bunga Creek. Pepper is a strong, healthy man and could make a good living if he chose, as he is a baker by trade. His wife is not very robust, but she is just as strong as many others of them, and she's never alone, as she always has her father, mother and sister with her. Finally, I do not think that Pepper is a deserving case, and I cannot recommend it. I have the honour to be, sir, your obedient servant, R.W. Howe. To Percy Pepper, 8th of October, 1913. In reply to your letter of the 22nd, addressed to the Honourable, the Chief Secretary, asking that you be supplied with material to erect a four-roomed house, I am directed to inform you that it is considered you should manage your affairs without government aid. Secretary. Under the Act, managing their affairs without government aid was almost impossible for the Pepper family. Percy got jobs here and there, and this meant moving around East Gippsland following seasonal and train gang work. The whole family had to camp while Percy earned their living. Lucy was worried about spending the winter in a tent. In February 1915, she wrote to John Murray, Chief Secretary of the Victorian Government. I am writing to you for a little help. I want to leave Gibsland before winter sets in. I have been suffering for the last seven years with tuberculosis and also bleeding lungs. And in winter, I am subject to hemorrhages. And the doctor says a change would do me good. I would like to go over to the Western District, Pernham, at Easter. Once I get over to Pernham, I can get a little help with my children. 
I have six and the eldest is only eleven, and they cannot do for themselves when I am sick, and my husband has to knock off work to look after me. Over at Pernham, I have relations that would help me a lot. My husband is working on the railway line, but that won't last long, and he cannot leave me by myself. I am camped out with him. Sometimes it is only hand to mouth, and we have a very hard struggle to get a living. I am compelled to write to you to ask you if you can give me and my family a pass at Easter to go to Pernham. Both my husband and myself are half caste Aboriginals. The police officer over at Cunningham can tell you what a hard struggle we have with sickness, and I dread to stay at Gippsland for the winter, hoping you will help me and give me a pass. Trusting to hear from you shortly, as I would like to go away. Your humble servant, Lucy Pepper. Mr. Ditchburn, Lucy Pepper is a delicate woman, and frequently she has to go to the hospital, suffering from lung trouble. Her last visit there was about six months back. Percy Pepper, her husband, is working on the railway line near Hospital Creek and gets nine shillings per day. But like all the rest of the Aborigines, he is troubled by laziness. Otherwise, he could make a very good living. Lucy Pepper is a daughter of William Thorpe, but her husband has fallen out with all her relations, and when she has to go to the hospital at any time, he cannot get any of them to look after his children. R. W. Howe. To R. W. Howe, twenty-third of February, nineteen fifteen. What assistance, if any, do these people require? William J. Ditchburn. Mr. Ditchburn. They say they want railway passes from Melbourne to the station nearest Pernham. This young woman was at the Greenvale Sanatorium a few years ago, as she is very frail and tubercular. It would be much better to let her remain near her parents at Cunningham. Her husband Percy Pepper is a strong fellow, and as he is engaged at the railway construction works, it would mean unemployment if he were to remove to Warrnambool District. If these people were in need of food and clothing, I would be prepared to grant it, but I cannot recommend this request. William J. Ditchburn. Mr. Murray, have you given my case a consideration? As I never heard from you, I thought I would write to you again. It is four weeks since I wrote, hoping you won't overlook this letter. Trusting you will help by giving us a pass. I would like to go away Easter week. I remain yours, Lucy Pepper. Tenth of March, nineteen fifteen. In reply to your letters of the fifteenth ult and the tenth inst, addressed to the Honourable J. Murray, I am directed to state that if your husband earns enough money to pay your fares to the Western District, there is nothing to prevent his spending the money in that way. But there is no reason why the government should supply passes as requested, Secretary. Like rocks in a pond, these letters reverberate across the generations. The family might have forgotten the exact pronunciation of Ditchburn's name, but they're still coming to terms with his decisions years later. One of the ladies that、um, read the book,、um, she thought, and she's a non-Indigenous person. She found that the name Ditchburg was really an unusual name, and she 
researched her family, this is a non-Indigenous person, and found that Ditchburg, the one that was saying no or yes to my great-grandparents, was her grandfather's brother. And so she then turned around when we had a big day for reconciliation and we'd taken people to see the exhibition and we were with the reconciliation group from the Mornington Peninsula. She turned around and actually did an apology mm. to mum and myself. So, And it was so moving. It was almost like, oh, my goodness, and we were all in tears. But she knew that the name was so unusual, she had to research her own family to find out if it was, and it was. William Ditchburn was one of many public servants who read the letters from the Peppers. While Lucy and Percy wrote to the Chief Secretary of the Victorian Government, their letters were often answered by more lowly bureaucrats. Whenever anybody was asking for something, it triggered bureaucratic processes to come into play, which meant that people had to write letters backwards and forwards up the, the hierarchy, and they're the ones that have made their way into the book. They're, they're particular episodes that generated, for whatever reason, paperwork to do with a matter that had to be dealt with. The Peppers were heavily restricted by their legal status, but Percy was always trying to find new ways to earn a living. In 1915, Percy wrote to the Protection Board to seek permission to cut some timber on Lake Tyres Reserve. He'd made a deal with a local timber merchant, Robert Bulmer, to supply him with 200 poles, and Mr Bulmer would pay Percy the sum of four pounds. If the board would let the deal stand, that is. Percy's request generated a lot of correspondence. Dear Mr Murray, I want to get a few poles at the Mission Station Lake Tyres. I have an order from a contractor to get some, and as there is very little work about, and I have a wife and seven children to keep, if I could get the poles, it would be a good help to me. I went and seen the manager, Mr Green, but he told me he could not sell them without permission. So I am writing to you, if you will do me the favour, I am willing to pay royalty. I am a half-caste and I am willing to work. Trusting to hear from you. I remain your Percy Pepper. 28th of September 1915. Referred to Mr Green for report. William J. Ditchburn. This man is a half-caste and being related to some of the blacks might cause a lot of trouble if allowed on the station. It's well known to all the half-castes that they must have the permission of the board to remain overnight on the station and if he were allowed to cut piles here, I could be powerless to turn him and his family off in the event of trouble. Therefore, I would not support his application. The station manager thought that the whole reason why Percy actually wanted to cut the poles was because he wanted to get back onto Lake Tyre Station and he was using that as a ruse to get his family back on, on this station. So he was suspect of... Percy Pepper's motives. From reading through the letters, you can you get a sense that he was doing everything in his power to, to be obstructionist and to make it a bureaucratic, as big a bureaucratic nightmare as possible. To C.L. Green, 20th of October, 1915. You will please ascertain the nature of the contract he has made with Mr. Bulmer, the number of poles he wishes to obtain, and make such arrangements with him as to terms, etc., as may be desirable. I shall be glad if you will let me have particulars as soon as possible. There is no necessity for Pepper's wife and family to be at the station. Yours faithfully, Secretary. 
This is a very unsatisfactory affair. The only agreement that Pepper can get from Mr Bulmar is the letter attached and as the royalty mentioned is too low, I'm reluctant to accept it. In the meantime, Pepper, who had cut a few poles, has knocked off cutting. It seems as if Bulmar will only take the 200 poles at his own price, which is about 50% below market value. I am sure that from the start Pepper has merely been trying to get a standing on this station, and I know that on several occasions his relatives here have supplied him with rations, and having run short themselves, have come to me for more. Yeah, these series of letters are really an exercise in, I think, trying to demean Percy, and in the end, while we might think they're about economy, as in how much are these poles worth, I think they're what, again, they're really about psychologically, is ensuring that Percy knows that he does not have control of his own life, and through this petty bureaucratic exercise, the state is articulating to Percy and to all Aboriginal people, we control your life. With regard to the poles cut by Percy Pepper, as stated by Mr Bulmer, I shall be glad if you will furnish me with full particulars of the circumstances so far as you are aware, and a statement as to whether you made any verbal or other agreement with Mr Bulmer in connection... With Before furnishing full particulars of the circumstances, I would like to inspect the official file on the subject, and would be glad to receive same from you for perusal and return. From the correspondence, it appears that the arrangement was made with Pepper, and the manager should remember if he had any conversation with Bulmer on the subject. I made no arrangements with Mr Bulmer about the polls, verbal or otherwise. I did have a conversation with him... While these the petty disputes are raging about so-called cost of items, you have Aboriginal people who are suffering through disease, suffering through poor diet, suffering through inclement weather, and clearly Aboriginal people dying um, while bureaucrats exchange one or two line letters about the cost of timber or the cost of mm. a piece of iron. I think the manager's view is a wrong one. Pepper evidently finds it difficult to provide for his family, and as the timber is available, he should be afforded an opportunity of earning sufficient to support his wife and children. I see no objection to the man being permitted to fell the trees, so long as he only cuts timber marked by the manager, and not more than the quantity determined. William J. Ditchburn, Secretary. After another series of letters, this time confirming the height, width and weight of each of the poles Percy had cut, Ditchburn and Green agreed on the royalty they'd charged the local timber seller, Robert Bulmer, £33. This exchange of letters took ten months to complete, and then Ditchburn himself wrote to the timber seller, Robert Bulmer. I am directed to inform you that the 46 poles cut by Pepper may be had by you on payment to me of the royalty as follows. Length, 30 feet. Number, 20. Royalty, 12 shillings and sixpence. Amount, 12 pounds, 10 shillings. Length, 35 feet. Number, 15. Royalty, 15 shillings. Total, 46 in number. Total amount, 33 pounds seven and sixpence. If you decline to accept these terms, the polls will be disposed of by the board. Percy Pepper must have just given up. It was just too much of a hassle to see it through. Um, it, it took too long. I think he ended up enlisting in the course of the, the negotiations. He, he, he ended up joining up to go serve in the Australian infantry. When he came back, when he was discharged, 
he came back and he made contact with uh, government officials again saying that these poles were still sitting there and obviously nothing had happened with them. They'd gone to waste. We never really found out what happened to them actually, whether he managed to get them sold and the whole matter resolved and whether he got paid or not. And that was something that we never really got down to the bottom of. Percy had gone to war in 1916. As a so-called half-caste, he was allowed to fight for his country but he wanted Lucy and the children to be near her family while he was away. I received a letter from Mr Ditchburn asking me where I wanted to live, if a pass was sent to us to go away from here. My husband has enlisted. He has to be in camp by the end of the week. I think it is better for me to be at home amongst my own people at Stratford, as I am amongst strangers here, hoping to hear from you soon. I remain your sincere... Lucy Pepper, 1st of May, 1916. Percy's battalion went first to Gallipoli and then to the Somme. He received head wounds from a shell blast while on the front in France and was sent home in the last months of 1918. He wrote to his commanding officer that his head injuries and chronic rheumatism made him quite useless at times. He was 40. Number 5677... Private P. Pepper, Australian Employment Company, 21st Battalion. Approval is given for the return of the above-named man to Australia for discharge. Please send him to report to Admin HQ AIF London for passage accordingly. Private correspondence attached to his application is forwarded herewith for return to him. Signed, H.D. Winter, Lieutenant Colonel AIF. Like other returned servicemen, Percy was given a soldier's block as part of the post-war settlement scheme. Percy's block was at a place called Cooey Rupp, southeast of Melbourne. The area had previously been a swamp, and while the letters showed that Percy worked very hard to make a go of it, the block was frequently flooded. To the Land Purchase and Management Board. Dear Sir, would you kindly give me an idea when the house on my block will be started? as I would like to get my family down as soon as possible. My family is now in the bush on their own, and as the house they are living in is not too good, I would like to have them down. And I also want to know if I could use that order for potatoes and chuff. I will only be able to put in a tonne as they have gone up in price. I wish to remain your obedient. Percy Pepper but the, the swampland that he got uh, given, he worked so hard on it. You just oh, There's a series of letters where he's requesting. He has to get mm. permission to get seed and to buy a horse. and That's right. And these children too at that stage, before they went to school, they'd get up early and they'd go and help. And after school, they'd help dig potatoes or plant them, whatever they had to do. And I think they had one cow <laughs> for the milk, you know, and then... The, they had one horse, Jip, and a, and a horse and buggy, and they used to take turns driving it. You know, the, the two would be on horseback to go to school, otherwise they had to walk, and they had to go a fair way, and half the time they'd be barefooted <laughs> in them times, you know. The kids did go to school barefooted. Mm, but they had they all were brought up that way to help each other, and that's what made the farm, I think. To the Secretary of the Board for the Protection of Aborigines. Dear Sir, 
I am writing to you to ask your permission, as I am a half-caste Aboriginal with a wife and seven children and have returned about ten weeks ago from active service. I have taken up land here and I have had the misfortune to have my boy in the Bairnsdale Hospital. I also have a delicate wife and my house is not built yet. My wife's father and mother are on Lake Tyres. I am writing to see if my family can stay at Lake Tyres for a while as they have a lot of relatives at Lake Tyre's mission, who will help them. My wife cannot manage the children, as she is not too strong. She is willing to buy her own food, as long as she stays at Lake Tyre's till I can get her down. Will you be kind enough to write to the manager? Also let me know if you will do this, as I am in a fix at present. Yours faithfully, Percy Pepper. Sir... I have to acknowledge the receipt of your letter, undated, asking that your wife and family be allowed to reside at Lake Tyres for a few weeks while you are getting settled at Kuwi Rup, and, in reply, have by direction to inform you that your family may reside at Lake Tyres for a term of six weeks. I have advised the manager of the station accordingly. Kindly write, Mr Ferguson, when the family may be expected to arrive. Yours faithfully, A. E. Parker, Secretary. While Percy was struggling to keep his soldiers' block, trouble struck Lucy's family. Both her elderly parents on Lake Tyre's mission were very ill. Lucy's sister Alice wrote to the authorities for permission to go and take care of them. Dear Mr Lind, I'm writing to ask you if you could get us a bit of help from the Board of Protection of Aborigines. My mother, Mrs Thorpe, is ill again. She suffers with her heart. The doctor, Markenzia, said he couldn't do anything for her as her heart was very weak and she has a touch of Bright's disease. She is very low tonight. My father is suffering with his heart also, and we can't go away and leave them alone. You said when my husband asked you for help, if we help the old people, you would do your best for us, as they have no one else to look after them, as our only brother was killed at the front. So I want to know, could you please get us rations for a while, as it is very hard to live, and we can't leave them, as there is no work about there. So if you could get us rations just for a while, I would be very thankful, as we have had a very hard struggle. Hoping you will do your best for me as soon as possible. I am yours truly, Mrs J Connolly Alice, Lakes Entrance, 2nd of July, 1922. Referred to the manager, Lake Tyres, for a report as to 1. Colour of Mrs. J. Connolly. 2. Whether he thinks provision should be made on the Lake Tyres Aboriginal Station. 3. As to application generally. A. E. Parker, Secretary. One Aboriginal family, the the Connolly family, uh, who are an extended family members of the Pepper family and also related to the Thorpes, they are continually told that they are too white 
to stay on the reserve, that they need to leave the reserve because they are nearer white than black. Now, in fact, that's saying to one branch of a family, because your skin is fairer, you are less of an Aboriginal person than your cousin, your brother or your sister who happens to have darker skin, but who may, may have the same biological composition. Now, that is a terrible determination of your identity because this could happen with any family if you go into any aboriginal family today you know full siblings will Mm. yeah we all have different physical characteristics in our families the notion that we would determine our legitimacy by who looked more of a physical type than their brother or sister is just terrible and we need to struggle and fight against that they had to get permission to actually be there even because the parents couldn't look after themselves and they were sick and the authorities just saw them as half-caste and that they shouldn't be there and had to leave after a certain time. It was It's just cruel. <laughs> At the board meeting held on 2nd May, it was resolved to allow William Thorpe and his wife to reside at Lake Tyres and to allow Mrs Connolly and her husband to help the old folk to settle the stay of the Connollys, not to exceed one month. Dear Sir, I'm writing to let you know we are in trouble again. We have lost Father. He died on the 2nd of last month, and Mr Ferguson said our time was up. Jack and I would have to go, but my mother could stay. So he said, write to the board for permission to stay on here. So, Mr Lind, I'm writing to you, as we have all had the flu and I am still weak and am not fit to leave yet. Besides, I couldn't leave my mother here herself. Jack could do some light work just for rations until we are fit to go. Hoping you will help us. I am yours truly, Mrs Connolly. I have by direction to inform you that J Connolly, wife and child, are allowed to remain on the station until the end of the present month. Mrs Percy Pepper is allowed to remain on the station and Percy Pepper and seven children must return to Wee Rup immediately. Please arrange that this direction be carried out with as little inconvenience as possible. Yours faithfully, A.E. Parker, Secretary. Once Lucy's father, William, died, they said, right, well, that's it. Um, There's no point for you to be here any further. You you best be off. Um, And so uh, I think in the end she was allowed to stay, but her her children and, and husband were not allowed to stay because it was, as far as they were concerned, they weren't supposed to be there. Percy and the children were sent back to Kui Rup. Lucy was allowed to stay on Lake Tyres, but her health deteriorated to the point where she knew she was dying. Neither Percy nor the children were allowed back to Lake Tyres to nurse her, so Lucy arranged to be put on a stretcher and sent to her family by boat. She died in 1923 at the age of 39. She was buried at nearby Pakenham. But it was her dying wish to be buried alongside her father on Lake Tyres. Her relative, Edward Mullett, recounted the story in a letter to Dr Stanley Argyle, Chief Secretary of the Victorian Government. We, the undersigned relatives of Lake Tyres, 
feel very much at the loss of her departed daughter, the deceased Mrs. Pepper, who has fallen asleep in Jesus Christ, whose wish it was that if anything should happen to her, that her desire was that her remains should be laid alongside of her dear father, Mr. William Thorpe. The deceased has suffered a long illness, and while she was upon a bed of illness, all her children had to leave the Lake Tyres Mission Station. In such a time of suffering, while her dear children could not remain, she could not bear them to go away from her. She was not able to walk down to the boat. She was very weak that she had to be carried down on a stretcher by the aid of four men. And it was quite sorrowful to see her, and the day was not a promising day. It was a heartbroken day. When she came back on the canoe, um, when she was sent off the mission in Lake Tyres and got back to Kurirup to the farm, Granny Lucy asked my grandmother to play the piano, didn't she? Yes, yes. Mum, she got the two girls, learned her two daughters, and on her dying bed she asked them to play the piano for, for her um, and him, and they did. Yeah. And she actually lied on the bed and passed away while they were playing the, the hymn on the piano. The deceased leaves a dear husband and seven dear children who mourn for her loss. We, the relatives, feel very much in the midst of our sorrow that Mr Percy Pepper has offered his great service in the Great War and who has sacrificed his life in the Great War. He responded to the call of his king and country and went to fight for freedom and liberty. And since he has come back home from the war, he has not been very well. We feel in our heart the deepest sorrow that he, Mr Percy Pepper, is not able to look after his children and he has a mother living here at Lake Tyres. If only they be allowed to come to Lake Tyres to reside with their dear aged grandmother and relatives. Trusting by the grace of God that you will sympathise with us in our time of sorrow, I close with the kindest regard. Yours faithfully, Edward Mullet, Lake Tyres Mission Station. Dear Dr Argyle, I now enclose a letter read the burial of Pepper's wife, who called on me at the Windsor before entering the sanatorium, where I presume she died. She was an intelligent Christian woman and the mother of, I think, six children. Pepper spent some years at the front and is a superior man. A parallel case to this happened during Mr Bower's term of office. At the request of the blacks, I objected, with the result that the body of Ernest Moborn was exhumed and reinterred at Tyres at a cost to the government of £18. Alas, we are lacking in sympathy. Lady Moran paid a flying visit to Tyres, after which I asked her opinion. She simply said, There is a want of sympathy, that such a place should be founded on religion. Our manager for six years has begun the work of the day without once engaging with the men in prayer to God. How could we expect success? 
With grateful thanks and best wishes, believe me, very sincerely yours, Anne F. Bonn, 7th of December, 1923. Granny Lucy was born on Lake Ties, and that's where she wanted to go back there, but they wouldn't let her back on Mm. Lake Ties, and when she passed away, we weren't allowed to get her buried there. She had to go to Pakenham. But even now, I'd love to be able to take her down there now. To Lake Tyres? opportunity, yeah, Lake Tyres. She always wanted to be buried down there with her dad. Why wouldn't they let her be buried there? Because they thought that the family would um, all come back there and want to visit the gravesides. That's right. Memo regarding Anne Bond's request, 12th December 1923. There is only the statement of Edward Mullet that she desired to be buried at Tyres. In all probability, if the body were exhumed and buried at Tyres, it would result in the Pepper family desiring to transfer to that station to be near the mother's grave. Ah, the case of Ernest Moborn, quoted by Mrs. Bond, was by no means similar. Moborn was a full-blooded Aborigine who went from Tyres to the Bensdale Hospital. Percy Pepper is earning his own living at Cooey Rupp. Now a widower with seven children, Percy's debts mounted. It became clear that he would have to sell the block. He wrote to everyone he could think of to seek some relief, including the Labour leader of the opposition, George Prendergast. Dear Sir, I am writing to see if you could get in touch with the settlement board. Some time ago, they gave me 14 days to leave my block. I went and saw you, sir, and you got them to extend the time for me to sell. There is not much money about, and it is hard to sell. I am willing to go on with the place for another season, or till I make it look like a farm. My family is scattered at present, and I want to get them together again. Since my wife died, it has been a trying time for me, and I think in the future I can pull up as I had four years of sickness. If I was to clear out, then what would become of me? I have a family. If the board would let me know what to do, well, I would act at once. Trust you will see into the matter for me. I remain your obedient, Percy Pepper. Sir, I have to acknowledge receipt of your letter of the 20th, forwarding a communication from Mr P. Pepper of Kuwi Rup, in which he suggests that he be allowed to continue in occupation of the area granted to him under the provisions of the Discharge Soldier Settlement Acts, and to state that Mr Pepper has not proved a successful settler, although he receives a substantial pension in addition to the assistance given to him by the board. I understand that his family is not scattered, but the younger members are under the care of the management of the Aboriginal station. I believe that there are some members of the family over 20 years of age who are capable of looking after themselves. Owing to the flooding of his land and later to bad seasons, he has been unable to meet his liabilities to the board and his arrears now total £389, 12 shillings and 10. If the block were sold, it would be sufficient to pay Mr Pepper's liabilities to the board. And in view of all the circumstances, I think this would be the best course to follow in the interest of Mr Pepper as well as the board. 
Yours faithfully, Director of Land Settlement, William McIver, 22nd of March, 1924. To the Premier, Mr Prendergast, I am pleased to see by today's paper that you are Premier. Wishing you and party every success. I now am writing to you again to tell you I would sooner have all my family under the one roof and would like to be on the land if the board will allow me to carry on until I can exchange and transfer the place myself. I would like to have a smaller place in another locality. This land was my great-grandfather's and the white people took it. So why not? as I am the only half-caste Australian Aboriginal that has tried on the land. I always work for my living and could do much harder work than I can do now before I went to the war. I will admit the place is too big for me and this ground here takes a lot of working. I would like another, smaller place. I have struggled and reared my family up to now and just when they will be useful to the home, we are separated. The sale of this place is happening shortly. If you can see into the matter, sir, I'm trusting you will be successful. I remain your Percy Pepper. Sir, with reference to your letter of the 18th addressed to the Honourable the Premier, relative to the block previously held by you in the parish of Kuwi Rup, I advise you that the Settlement Board has given careful consideration to your case, but cannot see its way to vary its previous decision. Therefore, the sale of same by public auction will be held at Kuwi Rup on the 27th. Yours faithfully, Director of Land Settlement, W. McIver, 21st of August 1924. Trying to keep the family together is the story shared by many Aboriginal people. Encroachment on Aboriginal life by outsiders that in some cases made it in the end impossible to keep families together. I suppose I take some heart from the fact that in the end Percy moved to Melbourne and lived in Carlton and Fitzroy. He actually lived in Station Street in Carlton which was near where I was born and I know that in his later years that he found support it became the mainstay of the Aboriginal community in Melbourne and obviously Percy was, was, was part of that. Throughout everything they went through, throughout all the barriers that were put up in front of them, that they together as a family and a community got through it and they're still here as strong as ever and, like I said, they're still one of the most well-regarded families through the Gippsland region. So, to me, that is the strongest point, that, you know, no matter what labels you give us, it doesn't define us. We define who we are and we live uh, strong and proud lives. That was fairly typical, um, that was what the law provided, and it was what the public officials uh, administering the stations were expected to do. There wasn't much leeway at that time uh, for those sorts of human considerations that now strike us as completely callous and odd. So as I'm reading them and I feel at times like other people upset by how poorly they're treated, in the end, though, I feel, wow, these, these people are such wonderful role models for Aboriginal people today. They, are, they were so courageous. I think, well, it's not difficult for me to articulate what I feel. No one's going to come to my house and take the food out of my cupboard. 
No one's going to come to my house and take my children away. No one can kick me out in the street from my house. So I have great opportunity here to continue that struggle on behalf of those people. And to do less than that, I think, is not to pay respect to their lives. So I actually see them as really affirming around the value and strength of Aboriginal people. We always say we don't just have a, a family tree, we've got like a grapevine because even all of our family and extended family, we're all connected and we all still meet up. We're still all really close, we're all still part of that Pepper family. We still all um, relate to each other and look after each other and still have a lot to do with each other.